ConnectCloud. Get connected, cyber safe is our mantra. From tailored managed security solutions to our next generation cloud platform, MetCloud will drive your organization forward and help it thrive. You can keep up to date with us in all things cybersecurity by following us on Twitter at MetCloud underscore com. We're also on LinkedIn and YouTube. You can find the links to our social media pages and blogs via our website, metcloud.com. Welcome back to Series 3 of the Vanguard Podcast, and this is lining up to be another great run of interviews with people all around the world that innovate, inspire, or have a story to tell with life lessons intertwined with their battles, wins, losses, and stories throughout their careers and lives. Series 3 is also going to see a few differences in the way that we change the general flow of interviews, potentially go off-piste and just let the conversations flow, and also bring in guest stories or experiences around inspiration, innovation, mentors, work and success cultures, as well as why and how they got to where they are today. The Vanguard podcast is about real people who have had success, failure, or lessons we feel can inspire or guide our listeners to take on challenges, go after those stretch goals and targets, but also help and inspire others in their lives to achieve what they want to achieve. Success isn't all about just money. It's about how we work with people, inspire others, and build lasting legacies for years to come. I hope you'll be pleased as we are in the return of the Vanguard Podcast Series 3. And if you have any guest suggestions or feedback, please contact us at hello at metcloud.com. Now, let's get going with Series 3. Today's guest is someone I've known for over 45 years, and since that time, he's been commentating on cricket, basketball, Aussie rules football, and some of them were even recorded, and I think he still has a few on tape somewhere. Lockie's media career began in 1995 in radio, where he took the leap of faith and moved across Australia to Perth to study broadcasting at the Edith Cowan University. Since then, he has completed over 20 years at Channel 10 in Perth as the senior AFL football reporter and presenter, and he's won several awards for best news and feature stories. In February 2014, Lockie was only a handful of Australian presenters to be chosen to commentate on the Winter Olympics in Sochi in Russia, and he has also called the swimming in the Glasgow Commonwealth Games and Pan Pacific Games. Lockie Reid, welcome to the Vanguard podcast, and thanks for joining me today. Scotty Tyson, how are you? You're a long way away, mate, but I can hear you so clearly. It is. It's the wonders of modern technology, which is uh, which is the only way that you and I have kept uh, kept in contact over the last twenty years of our forty five year relationship. But uh, uh, thanks for joining me. I really uh, appreciate you joining me. Nighttime in Perth, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, a little after seven o'clock. Just got home from work, so uh, I do you know twenty hour days, of course. So of started course. at uh, three in the morning and. Uh, finish at seven or so. I'm not sure whether that's the maths, but anyway, trying to make myself sound good. Um, but yeah, no, finished and uh, yeah, looking forward to having a bit of dinner and going to bed and start it all over again. Fantastic. Yeah, maths was never your strong point. That's why you're a journo and a, and a, and a broadcaster. But listen, mate, I, I um, as I said, I, I've been very lucky or unlucky, I don't know which, but uh, I've known you for 45 years now. We were we were best mates in kindergarten uh, all those years ago in Templestowe in, or Lower Templestowe at Twin Hills. But um, for me, you're inspirational in some of the things you do, and I and 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 the reason why I say that is because we our lives have mirrored each other. 
you know, almost those 45 years, I took the leap of faith, went to England. In 95, you took the leap of faith and moved to to Perth to study broadcasting, Perth being one of the world's most remote capital cities. You know, you're a good four or five hours away from family. If you fly, it's a two-hour, two-day drive. Tell me the inspiration behind that and, and, and why that leap of faith from Melbourne to Perth. So I'll probably go back, Scotty, uh, three or four years even before that, like a lot of people, when I finished year 12, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I always loved sport, as you would know, and yep. uh, was never very good at it. Uh, okay at basketball, average at cricket, uh, loved my golf, but um, always liked talking about sport and always dreamed in the backyard, commentated myself, kicking uh, footballs around. Uh, for those that don't know, Aussie Rules is, uh, you know, with the oval footy, the red Sharon. Um, always thought I would, uh, you know, would commentate and and do something involved in sport. But how did I get into? How would I get into it? Was my main question. So I, I, sure. I thought, nah, that's never going to happen. I'm, ne- I'm never going to be, uh, you know, a commentator. How would you get into that sort of job? So my dad said, look, you're going to go to uni. Uh, you got no other choice but to go to uni. I found you a spot doing international trade, and uh, off I went and failed pretty much all four subjects in the first <laughs> semester. Uh, spent a lot of time in the um, TV room watching the old soap operas, Bold and the Beautiful and Santa Barbara. And after two years, I just said to my mum and dad, look, this is just not me. I'm not going to be an international trader or an economist. Um, I, I want to go and sort of, you know, search for life and do something different. So I went actually to an island um, up in North Queensland, uh, beautiful, around the Barrier Reef, which is, you know, one of the wonders of the world. And um, uh, and spent two years up there, and and basically worked my way through kitchen hand bar work, waitering, but found myself on stage doing performances. Uh, we used to do mm-hmm. like a Saturday night rock and roll show. Uh, we used to host cane toad races. There were cane toads there. Look them up if you don't know what a cane toad is. They're ugly things. Um, <laughs> and we we do sort of races, and and I'd MC a lot of things, and I thought, man, like. This is really comfortable. I, I, this is something I really enjoy doing. And so I thought, well, radio might be for me. And I, I went back home after two years on this Dunk Island, which was just shy of Cairns, um, and uh, said to my mum and dad, I, I want to do radio. And we sort of searched around trying to find a course or an avenue for me to go into uh, doing radio. And I found this course in Perth called Broadcasting at the WA Academy of Performing Arts. Now, I'm going to name drop here, but blokes like Hugh Jackman uh, went to the Academy of Performing Arts. He was doing musicals and acting. Massive name drop, by the yeah. way. Massive yeah. name Thank drop. Thank you very much. I don't know him, but uh, I know of him, <laughs> and I knew he went to this uh, this uh, this university. So I thought, oh, I might have a crack and go over and live in Perth. When you're 23 years of age, you don't think you're going over to Perth to actually spend the next 25 years of your life over there. I was just no. going over to study, meet a few people, get something behind me and then probably come back to Melbourne and do do something over in Melbourne. But in the end, um, that was the inspiration. Like I, I decided, yep, go west, um, have a crack, do a uni course, uh, pretty much lived on my own, um, supported myself. Dad helped out financially a little bit, but, you know, I was forced to um, support myself. I did casual jobs and then in the end I – I tried to meet as many people as possible in either a- any type of media, whether it was radio or TV, and and I did that and I, I sort of worked my way through radio and then ended up in TV. So that was the inspiration. That's where it all started and um, 
I'm absolutely pumped and excited that I actually did it because uh, it was a bit of a leap of faith and uh, it worked out a treat. It certainly has, and and for 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 people that don't know, and 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 obviously we're we're broadcasting this podcast globally, but uh, most of the listeners are in the UK or the US. Um, you know, the the leap of faith was, you know, Perth was classed as a, a small country town back then, but now it's a, you know, it's a mineral-rich, multicultural, you know, economic hub of Australia now with the, with yeah. the mines and, and, and so forth. But um, one of the things that, that you mentioned here, which I, I think resonates with everyone, and it's certainly resonating with me at the moment with, you know, kids going through school, trying to pick subjects that they want to do as a career when they leave school and stuff. And, you know, quite frankly, you know, I'm 50, you're turning 50 this year, even though you look 30, Lock. Um, you know, <laughs> we, 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 we don't necessarily end up doing what we said we were going to do when we left school. And the, the biggest thing that resonates with, with me as well as a lot of people is, you know, you went to uni and you failed. You, you failed. So fail you, failure doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to be a successful in, in whatever you do later in life. And people need to realise that failure is a part of the, the learning game, learning where you want to be, where you, you know, what career you want to end up. So that was really interesting. You know, you've become very professional and, and, and very successful in your chosen career, but it all started out with failures and what am I going to do? I think that's a really important life lesson, don't you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, as I say, um, yes, I, uh, my mum and dad said, and in particular dad, like these days things are different, aren't they? You know, kids, um, there's so many courses out there and if, even yeah. if you don't pass your, your year 12 over here, which is your the end of secondary school, there's still a way for you to find a job um, or find a course that you might like and work towards getting into uni that way, whether it's through TAFE courses. And um, I hope I'm not speaking about stuff that people have no idea, but, you know, there's so many avenues towards achieving something. Back then it was like you either leave school and you go and do a trade, you become an electrician, you become a a carpenter or you go to uni. There was no other options there at all. And my option was I was useless with my hands, uh, couldn't hammer a nail into a piece of timber. That's true. I was, I was never, never going to be a trade person, so I had to try and find a way of finding out what I was good at. And, yeah, you're right. Like I, I went to uni, I, I, I struggled, I had no idea really what I was doing, I failed, and I really came home and I sat with my folks and said, this is not me. This is, I'm not going to be able to do this for the next 50 years. I've got to go and find what I want to do. And the best thing my parents did was I went away as a 19-year-old to uh, North Queensland up in the tropics uh, and they were happy for me to do it because they said, yeah, go and experience life and hopefully yep. you'll find something that you want to do. And it just panned out perfectly. And um, unfortunately for them, I've never really come home, which is <laughs> I, sit, I sit here now and I'm devastated by that. I, I would have loved yeah. to have done all this but then gone back home and lived near my parents. But for me, uh, I've got to continue on what I'm doing. I've now got a family that lives in Perth. My wife was from Perth. So I had no alternative really but to stay mm-hmm. in Perth and it was my decision to stay in Perth because that's where my job is and that's where my passions lie. Absolutely. And, and what, you know, three fantastic kids, wonderful wife, um, success is there, mate. That's, uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, you, you mentioned your dad and your mum. 
who again I've I've known very very well. But I want you know I, I know I know that they have been fantastic mentors to you throughout your life. But do you have or did you have or do you still have mentors? And you know, did you have them growing up? And then did you have any you know during your studies and and going through that broadcasting career and you know what, what what was it about those mentors if you had them that 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 helped you progress your career and 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 life in general like i suppose you had you had idols so sporting yep. idols um which drive which drove you to be better at say your sport you know grew up uh, idolizing robbie flower who was an australian rules footballer really silky yep. smooth player um I grew up watching Dennis Lilly uh, and loving Dennis Lilly. I mean, Dennis Lilly is the greatest cricketer of all time, from my uh, opinion, along with Shane Warne, who came a little bit later on. But, yeah, yeah. work. Uh, look, life-wise, my dad's my mentor. I mean, he's uh, to me, my dad is the ultimate professional. Um, he worked his absolute butt off to put uh, my brother, my sister and myself through a private school, which I'm really appreciative of. And and I've tried to copy him and do the same with my kids because I know how much I got out of it. So uh, he ran his own business. Uh, he To me, he was the greatest architect of all time. I mean, he, he designed so many magnificent buildings. And look, he, he didn't go and join a massive firm and make millions and millions of dollars all he wanted to do was work for his dad in his dad's business that became the family business and he was a huge success. So yep. life-wise, he's my mentor. Uh, I've grown to have my brother as a mentor as well. We, we used to fight like cats and dogs and you probably remember it back when we were kids. I, I now I actually, every problem I have in life, everything that I worry about, all I can, all I do is just ring my brother and say, "Yeah, what do you reckon, mate? What, what do I do here? Am I thinking the right way? Am I doing the right thing, etc." And he's just, I mean, you know, I say it along with you, Scotty. My brother is the greatest <laughs> person in the world. Like he's just so reliable and trustworthy. So he's another role model, especially for me. Probably from say the years twenty-five to now, I'm about to turn fifty. And then work-wise, I've had a fair few. I mean, um. Tim Gossage gave me a job at Channel 10. Goss was a a, a big uh, face over here in Perth. Uh, he gave me a job and I, I've worked for him uh, with him for over 20 years. And um, one man uh, that everyone, if you don't know Australia in Australia, well, you will know him in Australia. You won't know him probably overseas. But Dennis Kometi is another one who is probably the greatest broadcaster Australia's ever had. Uh, he broadcast cricket. He broadcast Australian rules football. He's called at the Olympics. Um, just one of the greats of all time. So, and I've had the absolute fortune of uh, actually commentating with him over the past six or seven years in Aussie rules football. So, um, he's been a mentor, and I actually he's now retired, but yep. still every couple of months I just ring him and say, "Can we catch up with a coffee?" and we don't talk much about what we do work-wise, but it's just a great uh, opportunity to go have a chat with him. We talk about the good old days. He talks about, you know, his life as a broadcaster and his love of footy and cricket and all these sports that he's done. And um, that's just something. And you learn so many things from those people, simple things like, he knows every person's name that he walks into the room. And if he doesn't know them or he can't remember from last time, he'll walk up again and and say their name and say it ten times and I think those little things um, I start to pick up on and and feel are pretty important in the way you would conduct yourself uh, in the community. 
That's that's a really good point. Actually, Dennis Cometti was in the BA lounge a few years ago when when we could travel. Yeah. Um, and and you know I'm I'm pretty good at speaking to people that uh, that are known no, or you're very shy and stuff. What? Yeah, pretty shy mainly. But you know what? I saw him there and I wanted to go up and say hello because I know you knew him and I was going to say oh you know, and I couldn't because it's Dennis Cometti. He's one of yeah. the greatest broadcasters you know growing up that I ever saw. So him and him and um and Bruce McAvaney are probably the yeah. two you know that I remember. Um, obviously then you got the footy commentators of course as well. But um so. Just on the mentor thing, Locke, um, what about mentoring others? Is that something that you do? Is it something that you enjoy? I mean, personally, I love it. I, I love being able to help younger people fulfill their potential or help them on their road to their potential or whatever. Is it something that you like to do? Uh, it's interesting you say that, and it's interesting you say you know you didn't have the confidence to go up to Den. I actually probably second-guess myself as to whether anyone would want to hear from me, and, and I say that. Um, honestly, like, does anyone? Yeah, I think that's to- more popular than you think, too. By the way, what's that? Sorry, it's more, it's more common than you think, too. By the way, yeah, I mean, I know I do a decent job at my job, but I just sit there going, "Well, does anyone really want to know and get advice from me as to how to call a game of, uh, you know, basketball, cricket, uh, a game of Australian rules football?" Um, I am a boss myself of uh, my department, so I've got a department of three people plus me. Yep. Yep. Um, so I suppose, in a sense, I am a mentor, but I'm a mentor by employment and my position at my work. But outside, no, nah, I suppose probably really only you hope that your kids um, see you as a bit of a mentor in life and how you approach life. Um, but aside from that, I don't really know. I mean, people ring up and ask advice as to how they would um, – get into a course or what they need to do to get into media. and But that's just a general telephone conversation as opposed to meeting them once a week or twice a week. Yeah. Um, so, look, uh, I wouldn't say no if someone did approach me, but um, I suppose in a sense I sort of lack that confidence to say, you know, come to me. I'm I'm a, a font of knowledge and uh, I'll tell you everything that you need to know to get in the media because I probably don't know everything. Um, I know how I got in and I know how hard I worked to to achieve it. But um, yep. uh, if you're not willing to work, Scotty, uh, you're not willing to put the hours in, then don't bother doing the job because uh, – Absolutely. And that's every job. Like that's not just media. That's uh, every job that you do. Uh, if you want to be a success, you've got to work your butt off and – I tell this story all the time when I when I first the first day I commentated with Dennis Cometti, um, my mum rang me afterwards and mum's a massive sports fan so she knew, knew how important it was and how great it was for me to get a chance to commentate with him and she said how'd it go how'd it go and um, I said uh, mum I learnt one thing today that you don't have to be a d head to mm-hmm. be the greatest at your job you don't have to be overconfident you don't have to be an arrogant bugger to be the greatest at your job because he is just the ultimate professional there's no um he's not a princess he doesn't walk around going i'm the greatest and you need to sit over there and i'm sitting here um he just works with uh, different people in different ways and so makes people comfortable around him and um that's what i say to everyone out there whether it's kids or people sort of mid 30s 40s or even 60 year olds um you can still be great at what you do uh, and you don't have to be arrogant and you don't have to uh, talk yourself up and, and be rude to people because um, the greatest sometimes are just 
normal Joe blows who uh, just love doing their job and work really hard at it. Yeah, it's a really good point there, Locke. You know, um, social media has got a lot to do with people getting inflated egos. Um, there's no doubt about that, you know, with with publicity and, and uh, what do they call YouTubers and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, but most of the, the greats and most of the most famous and successful people most of the time have always got time to speak to you or give you advice or give you an autograph. You know, I remember at the MCG uh, when we were there for the Boxing Day test a couple a few years ago and, and uh, bless him, you know, lost too soon, but, but Warney was there and m- more than happy to get photos taken with Andrew and, and the, and the kids and, um, you know, personal experience knowing, you know, some really famous cricketers that played for Australia. None of the ones that I know were, were, that way inclined, they were always willing to sign autographs, willing to talk to kids. You know, a famous example, Alan Border, always called Captain Grumpy and all that kind of stuff. Whenever I trained with those guys, they would always have time to speak to you and ask you how your cricket's going, how how's life. Um, I think that's a really important thing. You know, even if you are successful, just think of the person that you're speaking to um, because they're really humbled or really excited to speak to you, given the same time that they, that you may have once got from, from your idols. Well, we're all role models, aren't we? Yeah. You're a role model to Andrew. You're a role model to the people that you work with. Uh, I'm the same. I'm a role model yeah. to my kids uh, and I'm a role model to uh, even people that I don't know but work in the media industry who follow my career I'm a yep. role model to them. They don't want to yep. see me walking around as though, you know, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know, yep. um, because once you start doing that and you make a mistake, you can fall very, very quickly and lose a lot of respect. So yeah, the easiest sure. thing to do is be uh, be a normal person, uh, try and do as best as you can, and then if you do stuff up, then people go, oh, you know, he just made a mistake there. Because exactly. I know him and I know how he is portrayed and he is just a good bloke. You're never going to be uh, – the moment that you start sort of boasting and uh, being egotistical is the moment that they'll bring you down really quickly once you make a mistake. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We all make mistakes. There's no doubt yep. about that. But um, it's how you it's how you adjust to those mistakes and apologise for them or whatever. You mentioned Warnie and I think that's yep. the prime example. You know, you look at Warnie as a sportsman and – then you look at his life outside sport and he was a controversial character, wasn't he? Oh, and for sure. I say he was controversial and he was also a character, but now he's passed. You start hearing all these great stories about how, you know, he really, and you've just mentioned it before, you know, signing autographs, but he was really involved in charity and he was, he was doing this and he was doing that. And, and now it's almost like, wow, I missed out. Like I only read about the new idea stuff and all the celebrity yes. stuff about him, you know, doing this and that outside of his marriage and everything. But in the end, and, and that's not, you know, good enough and all that sort of stuff. But in the end, probably if you knew him, you'd go, oh, sounds like a pretty ripping bloke, you know. Yeah, like, and for sure. So, you know, um, it, it's a really interesting uh, way to look at it. Absolutely, Locke, Absolutely. If data had a sound, it could be this. The sound of important and sensitive information leaking out of your business. MetCloud. Get connected. Cyber safe. 
and and I, I just want to touch on the you were talking about the team at Channel Ten. Um, but I want to talk about broadcasting in general for the simple fact that I, I guess there's a the preconceived um opinion that that and 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 I'm sure it's correct, but you know, it's a pretty tough industry. It's it's quite, you know, cutthroat, like any industry, of course. It's just more in the public eye than, you know, me being in sales in IT. But, you know, I, I can imagine culture within the broadcasting space can be either really good or really bad. What makes a, a good culture for you within, you know, your environment? Because I'm sure it resonates with others in, in other businesses and other environments. But what, what for you really promotes and produces a really good work environment for you? Uh, look, uh, interesting you ask that because, um, you know, like you, you generally look at, say, journalists and uh, you think cutthroat, brutal. Yep. And you think, ah, how does he survive in that industry? Now, there are some TV stations and some networks and some radio stations that, that are like that, and I don't think I'd like to work in it. Like mm-hmm. I chase stories and I don't want to be beaten by anybody else, but I don't consider myself a brutal uh, sort of journalist, and, and that's why I really love Channel 10 is because um, we work really hard we chase really good stories. Uh, when we nail the stories, we're really proud of each other and we're proud to to, to have done it for Channel 10. Um, but I don't think we we go overboard in terms of the chase, chase, chase. We don't sit outside houses of people that have lost family members. Um, that is mm-hmm. pretty much one rule, especially sporting-wise. We don't, you know, if there's some drama that is happening in the sports world, we just don't seem, and I don't know where it's come from, but it's been happening since I've started at 10. We don't go and sit outside a bloke's house and, yeah. and wait for him to come out to collect the newspaper and then pounce on him. Other stations do, other people do. That's their prerogative. It's not for me to decide whether that's the right or wrong thing to do, but it's just not what we do. Uh, and and if we get beaten because they do sit outside a house and get an interview and you walk away going, oh, well, you know, we still can yeah. walk away going, we think this is the right thing to do and we've done it. We missed the interview, but we move on till tomorrow and try and get another story. Culture-wise, I think that does bring a really good feel about the station. So when you go into work, you don't feel like there's this immense amount of pressure to get a story. you still got the drive to do it, but it's not these bosses coming in going, mate, you must get a story today. I want a story by midday today. That just doesn't yeah. happen. Um, and as I say, that could be right, that could be wrong, but for me uh, that's a good culture and um, and it seems to resonate along uh, throughout the whole newsroom. We're all, you know, good people that come to work, work 9 to 5 or 9 to 6.30 and then yep. we go home and enjoy our lives and we're not – Going home stressed, thinking, "Oh man, I'm I'm under the pump tomorrow to try and to try and break a story." Tomorrow's a new day, and you yep. approach it and you do your best job. Absolutely, I think I think that's really really important. We we hire people as professionals, and we expect them to to work in that environment. And you know, during an interview process or during a very early phase of of someone's career, you can always see if the culture is going to fit your your team or your environment. And if they don't, um, it's best for both that you you act on that pretty quickly. And it sounds like that that's uh, that's what you do. Last thing you want to do is go into a job every morning where you where you feel threatened or you regret it. Or, yeah, yeah, 
for sure, for sure. We're Life's too short, as we know. Now, like, because I have sort of taken over as department head. Well, it's been for two years, but um, I've only now sort of just gone, right, I want to just um, create some values um, because it's not really normal in the media or in the – uh, in, in this industry to have these values, but I just sort of feel like it's important. So we're all all four of us now over the next couple of days are sitting down and just um, going over values and, and we're going to actually write them down and um, come up with the three or four values that we're going to live by over the next 12 months and, and just see whether that improves uh, our output of work. I think we do a great job and our news looks really good and our sport looks fantastic, but is there a way of improving it without putting heaps of pressure on and without working more and more? But if we follow certain values, are we going to put a better product out? So I'll be fascinated to see um, how it happens. I mean, you would do it in your business and everybody else has probably done Absolutely. it. So probably, they're probably listening to me now going, mate, you should have done it three or four years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sort of, I sort of have started it now, thinking, well, you know, maybe we can get better. Maybe we've just been resting on our laurels a little. So now it's time to um, just see whether we can uh, sharpen things up from a newsroom sure. and sporting department perspective. You, you could always counter that by saying, well, if you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? So you know, yeah. you're doing it now, and that's that's the main thing. So um, I want to just touch on um, finally as we as we get to our we we do a quick fire three at the end of the Vanguard podcast where we put you on the spot for a couple of things. Um, don't feel don't feel threatened. Um, right. They're not that hard, but. Um, you know, I, I live in the IT world. We are uh, the one of the or probably the most innovative. Um, uh, businesses or business, you, you know, um, industries that, that that are out there, I, I guess, um, perceived innovative um, uh, industries. But from a broadcasting perspective, innovation, you know, we saw it in the 70s with Kerry Packer and World Series Cricket where he brought coloured clothing and lights and different camera angles and microphones at the stumps and all that kind of stuff. Is there anything in broadcasting that, that piques your interest as to, innovation nowadays um whether it's you know I, I i'm not in your world so i don't know but is there anything that's really innovative that's that's you know everyone's going to go wow that's impressive oh i think i mean there's the there's the usual changes like in social media um yeah. just the the change over the last five to ten years has just been incredible social media um yeah I reckon I joined Twitter in say 2010. I reckon that yeah. was around the time that I joined Twitter, and Twitter was very basic back then. But now it's from a journalist's point of view, you're almost breaking your stories just on Twitter. Um, there, there's right. no, wow. you can't sit on a story now, um, and we're re- we're talking about it heaps at work as well. You know, back in the old days, uh, you'd see someone um, strain a hamstring at uh, at, at training. And you could sit there all day going, oh, I've got this good little story. No one's going to find anything about it. And I'm going to run it at 5.45 p.m. at night and uh, I'm going to break this story that so-and-so, Scotty Tyson's done his hamstring because he's stretched <laughs> out for a magnificent catch behind the stumps. Um, and now, though, that you can't survive by midday. Yep. So if that happened at 9 o'clock in the morning at training and I was the only one there, but still by midday, somehow, whether it be through social media or just people talking, that news is out. So you almost just got to go with it now. So social media is massive now. The difference is just quite incredible. And I think it's affecting audiences, like people are getting their news 
so quickly that back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you, Scotty, would uh, go, I'm coming home at 6 o'clock and I'm going to watch the news. Yep. Nowadays, what well, I'm sitting I'm sitting at work going, oh, I've got the news. I know who's playing this week for the, the football team that's playing on the weekend. I don't need to go home now and watch the news because I already know. I got it through Twitter. Joe Bloggs, yeah. Lockie Reid, at Lockie underscore Reid, um, ha- has already told me that uh, Scotty Tyson's going to be behind the stumps this weekend, um, you know, for the cricket team. So social yeah. media is massive. Um, and then just inside broadcasting as a, as a sense is um, you're taking you, the ability to uh, take the sport into the lounge rooms is so much better. You almost now, when you watch a sporting event, you almost feel like you are actually sitting right next to the person who is taking part in that sporting event, which is so yeah. different uh, back in the old days. So, you know, you get different angles. Um, you get the, the the commentary from on the ground. You get the wicketkeeper talking all the time behind the stumps. Uh, it's just it is amazing. Broadcasting is just going to go through the roof over the next. I, I, I can't wait to see what happens in ten years' time as to yeah how a broadcast is uh, is going to look. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? You know, you you if you look at Formula One, you you know me, I'm a, a massive yeah. Formula One fan, and um you you watch some of the races now, and you have got helmet cam, so you're actually sitting in the cockpit of a yep. Formula One car going at 350 mile uh, kilometers an hour, and um you know it's clear, it's high definition, it's you know real time, it's um you know I remember remember back in the old days when you and I used to watch the V8 supercars, Mount Panorama, and they used to have a dash cam or whatever it was, and it was like a big super high, super eight camera sitting in the back of the car and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's it, the innovation is amazing and, and um, you really feel like you're you're part of that environment. Lockie, brilliant overview of, of innovation in, in broadcasting. I couldn't agree more with you regarding, you know, sitting on, uh, sitting on a, a bus or a train or a, a plane looking at news real time, you know, who, instead of waiting to get home for the, for the news. Final question I've got for you in, in, in the podcast before we get to the quick fire three, but is there for Lockie Reed, is there one sporting event or sport or, um, um, you know, general event that you would give anything, anything to go and commentate on or broadcast at? Is there that one event that's outstanding for you that you want to go and do? Uh, to be honest, so uh, I think you mentioned it earlier on. I- I've commentated at uh, the Winter Olympics, which is like unbelievable. You know, you yep. think back when you first started, if you could commentate the Olympics, you've you fulfilled your dream and and what you actually got into the um, business to do. So I was in Sochi, uh, mate. Never never skied in my life. In fact, I went <laughs> I went to the snow once. I reckon when I was seven or eight years of age, and uh, I got uh, snow in my boots. And uh, I think I cried the whole day and hated every second of it. But I then got a chance when I was about forty years of age to go to Sochi and commentate a Winter Olympics and talk and commentate about sports that I had no idea about and I had to study up for six months leading into, you know, downhill skiing, mogul skiing. I did the um, the, the speed skating as well. So that, sort of, that was pretty awesome. But to be honest, and I apologise for those in England and, and London, overseas, wherever you are, but I commentate AFL footy over here, uh, which is Aussie rules football, 
Yes, it's um, what aerial ping pong, some might some people call it. Yeah, and uh, I have been Scotty, a Melbourne Demons supporter since birth. And yes, Melbourne you have. Demons, for those over in the other side of the world, have never won a premiership during my lifetime until last year. And how is this for a story? So I'm 49 years of age. Last year, I'd never seen my footy team ever win a premiership and I got to commentate them in a grand final in my hometown of Perth. The grand final's never been anywhere else, but for for, for COVID reasons, they couldn't do it in Melbourne. So they brought the grand final to Perth with my team playing in it. (laughs) I commentated them and they won the game. Uh, I do not have to ever commentate another game of sport in my life to be more satisfied. Love it. Uh, it. The greatest thrill of my life, and uh, it'll never be beaten. It'll be never beaten. Uh, The only thing might beat it is uh, if my young son uh, or my older son uh, plays AFL footy and I get to commentate their game. Or my daughter plays uh, netball, but she's only played the social netball at the moment. I need to fire her up a little bit, get her a bit fitter. Same with I can, the two. I, I can promise you. I can promise you. By the way, if um, if Josh or Benny get that opportunity to play their first AFL game, I'm flying over to watch it with you. <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> that's that's brilliant, mate. And actually, I saw some pictures of you and some video of you record um, uh, calling that game yeah. with Melbourne. And I swear that the the Melbourne football jumper you were wearing was the <laughs> one that you had in 1978. So. <laughs> It was a little tight. tight. So, um, but uh, but all good. That's fantastic. Uh, And you know what comes across to me, Locke, and and, and I love that this is one thing that I really love speaking to you about is passion, right? And the one thing that, um, you know, that you and I have always had, even from being kids to now, is we've always been passionate about what we do, whether it's, you know, helping the kids with their homework, whether it's, buying a new car, but most importantly in our careers and, and, and in our lives, passionate about what we do because it just makes things go a lot better, a lot easier. For some reason, you enjoy yourself more and, and having passion for what you do, and you can tell that in your voice and, you know, uh, I've really enjoyed going through the uh, through the history of that and 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 sharing your passion for what you do and 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 who you work with on, on the podcast today is um, been fantastic, mate. I really, really enjoy you spending the time and talking to us through that. Um, I I mean, to be honest, mate, and I remember my dad saying it, and I think everyone needs to think about this. He said to me, mate, you won't love your job 24 hours a day every day. He said, that's just not possible. There's going to be things that happen in your job that you won't enjoy or the uh, the things that have happened that you think, oh, that's, that's, you know, that's no good. But he said, as long as you're happy doing your job and as long as you're happy to work hard, then you'll be really happy at the end of it. So I reckon that, you know, as I say, not every, I don't enjoy my job every single minute of it. At times I go, oh, man, I just want to go home too tired. But um, as long as you enjoy the majority of it, I reckon, uh, you know, you walk away in life going, yeah, that was pretty cool. Oh, absolutely agree, mate. Absolutely great. Great way to end the uh, end the main part of the podcast. Locke, quick fire three. Really want to go through this with you. Um, do you have a failure in your career that turned into something extremely positive or career-defining? Uh, 
Whoa, put me on the spot, Scotty. Um, <laughs> not really, not really a failure. I, I think just um, like what actually happens for me is I'm a journalist. I want to get every story, and there's times where I get beaten for stories. But yep. so I suppose that's a failure. So one night I may not have got a story, and somebody else, a rival, has got a story. But what usually happens the next day, I go really, I go even harder to try and get another story. So not so much a failure. I haven't sort of don't think I've failed at anything, but I've missed stories or missed opportunities to get stories, and I've learnt my lesson as to why I missed it. And the very next day, I put those lessons into practice to try and get the next story. Um, you can't sort of think back and go, oh, well, I missed that story. My life's over. You've got to go, oh, I missed that one, but I'll get the next one because I yeah, learned yeah. that I need to go a little bit harder or I need to make that extra phone call or I need to get off my ass and, and, and get up that little bit earlier to see whether I can get to this place to try and find this person who's injured, who's, you know, getting a, a, a having an appointment with a doctor. So, uh, that's probably the best way of summing up that one. No, I like that. No, I like it's, that it's basically, you know, you've been to a story, so it's it's not necessarily a fail, is it? It's it's more of a no. missed opportunity. But the next day, you're more motivated to go that extra mile, do that extra one percent to get the story. Love that. Yeah. Love that. Life lesson. Life lesson. If you fail or or don't or come up short, more importantly, uh, this time learn from it and go that extra mile to get the next next one. I, I really love that. What do you wish you'd known when you started in your career that you do now, Locke? Uh, what do I wish I'd known? I, I probably wish um, I was a little better at English, and you're going to laugh because I'm a journalist and I should be pretty good <laughs> at English. Um, yeah, I just uh, – I probably, yeah, I just wish I was better with words. Um, I wish I studied a little harder at school to make myself a little more cultured um, and just be aware of uh, what else is going on in other countries um, and, and just words that I could use better than the basic words that I use at the moment in general conversation. So um, I suppose in a sense, study I wish I had school over again and from what I've learned now if I went back to school I'd really focus in on the subjects that would make me better now at 50 years of age in the job that I'm doing and that would be English um pretty much English yeah I mean yeah. that's something that I'd really like to have uh, done again I reckon I think you're pretty good at words anyway, mate, but um, I'm probably a little bit biased. Um, finally, finally, like question three, do you have a favourite quote or philosophy you live by? Yeah. Um, work will win when wishing won't. Work will win when wishing won't. I love that. Who, so, who's that attributed to? Uh, well, I attribute it to myself, but somebody else would have come up with it, I'm sure. <laughs> no, basically, yeah. Uh, the harder you work, the better the results of instead of just wishing that you would. So, you know, if I wanted if I wanted to be a broadcaster, the only way I'm going to get there is by working my ass off, not yep. wishing that I'd be a broadcaster. So put aside your wishes and put them into action and uh, work will win when wishing won't is uh, a motto I use and I throw it down to the kids as much as possible as well. I think that's a great one. I really, I, I think that's great. I love it. I love it. I'm going to use it myself. I'm going to steal it and use it in my sales yeah, meeting next week. 
<laughs> Thanks, Locke. Listen, Locke, um, I, I'm conscious it's getting late in the night. You've just got back after your 18-hour day that you tell me you work. And, 20 hours, and, mate. Um, 20. You, 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 need to, you need to protein up before you hit the gym. So um, I, I, I want to thank you very much for, for spending the time with me uh, today on, on the Vanguard podcast and, and going through what is, you know, what has been a, um, uh, a really interesting um, um, productive, successful uh, life and career that you've you've had up to date, and um, you know, being a being a bloody good mate as well. You know, it's um, I think people people don't put the emphasis on 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 friendship um, in, in their lives, especially um, you know during the career where or, or the part of your life where you're you know starting off meeting someone, uh, having a family, you know, you're all pretty insular, but, um, you know, the one constant I've had over the last 50 years is, is a best mate. And, um, you know, I'm very lucky that, uh, that, that, that you're still that. And, um, you know, even if we don't speak for a few months or a few weeks or whatever, um, there's a constant there and I can always ring you up and trust, uh, that I'll get the honest answer from you. So, you know, thanks for that, and I, I, I think all the listeners should uh, should be should be you know today go out, ring your best mate up, and say thanks for very much for what you've done in in your life or career because I think we we don't say it enough, and we probably should. So, Locke, thanks for your time, thanks for being a bloody good mate, and um, I wish you all the best, and uh, uh, thanks very much for your time tonight. Good on you, Scotty. Likewise, mate. Miss you, and uh, hopefully uh, I'll get over there soon, and uh, we can uh, catch up and. Uh, and do what we did, what, seven years ago, eight years ago. Eight years ago. Look forward years to it, mate. Ago. And uh, the first point's on you. Up in London. Oh. <laughs> the first point's on you, remember? Uh, yeah, okay. No worries. I'll bring my wallet. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Thanks, Lock. A massive thanks to Lockie Reed for taking the time out from planning the nightly news to uh, speak to me and share his journey. Like a lot of people, and especially those in sales, Lockie had no idea what he wanted to do after secondary school and took some time to find his passion. You know, that first lesson that I got from Lockie's story is having those failures didn't define him as a failure, but it taught him to really follow his passion and work hard to build on that success. Another point Lockie made that really resonates with a lot of people, I'm sure, is you won't love your job every day, but as long as you're happy and enjoy what you do, you'll work hard, enjoy it, and ultimately be successful. Finally, his motto of work will win when wishing won't is definitely one to remember. Thanks, Lockie, and all the best for 2022. Thanks for listening, and again, welcome back to Series 3 of the Vanguard Podcast. We have some format tweaks for this series uh, just to keep things fresh and interesting. And if you have any episode content, guest suggestions, or just general feedback, feel free to visit our podcast page on www.metcloud.com and click on the Vanguard podcast page under the resources section. Thanks to everyone for listening. And remember, take care, stay safe, and keep on innovating.